1: Now you're welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. It is a World Cup edition of the Huddle Breakdown. No Celtic matches to look at, but plenty to talk about. We're going to be talking about Alistair Johnson, a potential right back coming into the club. Yuki Kobayashi, who has joined the club, a centre-back coming in from the J-League. And we're going to be talking through the Celts who are playing at the World Cup at the minute as well. Confirmation tonight as we record that Cameron Carter-Vickers is in the starting lineup for their crunch game against Iran. A very interesting uh, fixture in many, many ways. If you haven't watched the pre-match press conferences for that game, I'd advise you to go and take a look at that before the game starts. But that's not what we're going to be talking about tonight. Alan Morrison is with me. James is fully focused on that USA game, so he won't be joining us. Alan, uh, World Cup, it's uh, been very interesting on the pitch. It has to be said that of all the noise going into this World Cup, that The actual football, when it's come to the football side of things, has been very entertaining.
0: Yeah, no, I've enjoyed it. I mean, it's one of the one of the benefits of getting older because you know World Cups come along and you and I tend you tend to get quite sort of nostalgic because you always remember your first World Cup and you, you you can place many events in your life by where you were when you were watching uh, various world cups so it's always a, a time for reflection for me um and i've probably had a lot more world cups than you up so it's, it's a, my memory has to be quite good to go back all the way to i think 78 was my first proper one uh, and i and i'm and i'm and i won't surprise people to know i'm a complete world cup anorak i, I watch i watch every game basically if i can so mm-hmm. uh, you know really immerse myself in it so um yeah, I've really enjoyed it. I think one of the benefits of getting a bit older is that the way I, you know, and, and that's also starting to do Celtic by numbers and watching games in a very different way is, is that, is that you just, I think you have more of an appreciation for what's going on in the pitch. When I was a kid, I think I used to watch the World Cup, and if it wasn't like three-three or four-three, you know, it was a crap game. If if some Brazilian lad didn't stick it in the top corner from thirty yards, you felt you'd been sort of cheated. And that's the kind of way that you watch football when I was younger. But now I've got a much more sort of subtle, I suppose, appreciation for what's going on. So there's something of interest in most games. I mean, there's there's been one or two that have been dire. I think that first week of the tournament, um, nobody wants to lose their first game, right? So that tends to. Lead to some defensive football, and we saw that on a, on on a, num- on a number of occasions. Nobody wants to sort mm-hmm. of take risks, really, and so there was a few nil nils and a few sticky sticky matches. But the second round of games were by and large very entertaining, and then the you know the game tonight the the sort of decider between Ecuador and Senegal was just was just fantastic fun because each goal basically changed who who went through so that's the sort of thing you want um the sad thing is that when the uh, you know when they expand the world cup to 48 teams uh, a lot of that jeopardy and therefore fun is going to go out of it because i think a lot of teams in third place will get through so you're going to see yeah. uh, a lot of sort of nothing, nothing games, unfortunately. But overall, I would say I've really, really enjoyed it. And uh, you know, yesterday especially, um, or a couple of days, couple of days ago, should I say yesterday? Over the last couple of days, there's been some some absolute classic games. The you know the Cameroon Serbia match, the the, the South Korea Ghana game. Um, you know, Croatia Canada was great fun. Uh, Belgium Morocco was was dramatic. So there's been there's been a lot of good, good games as as the as it's gone on
1: yeah i I find myself trying to be as positive as I can about things when it comes to what you mentioned there about the fact that they're expanding the tournament. I, I, when I'm watching these games, I can't help but think that like why do they want to change this absolutely brilliantly chaotic tournament that anything can happen? it just it's it's such a bizarre situation when you're allowing. Third place through in the group stages, and it happened in the Euros a couple of years ago. Ireland actually benefited from that when they got through uh, by finishing third place in the group. But in reality, it just makes things a little bit less entertaining and a, le- le- a lot less jeopardy in the games as well. So, um, but yeah, yeah, absolutely, there've been some absolutely brilliant games. And working from home has revolutionised my wor- uh, my World Cup watching because <laughs> even when I'm in the office, even though the game would be on because I work in sports media you don't get to watch it as much. Whereas I just have it up on the TV right beside my laptop. And I've been, I think I've watched every game bar the first game, which was by all kinds of terrible game anyway. So,
0: yeah, so you've done you've done well. I mean it's I know it's difficult when it's on in the background. You don't really you see you don't really concentrate and you miss a lot of the nuance. I mean, as I say, I'm unfortunate, I'm not working at the moment, uh working so I'm I'm able to uh watch all these games. It's been it's been great. Although I have to say, today was the first day that there wasn't four games on and I've, i got so much done this morning <laughs> because of all these things that have backed up that I should have been doing that I haven't been. <laughs> yeah. Really but not I a sign I mean, of having you know, to pick and up, choose up, between up, up. these games. Yeah, the the up the upside to the forty eight game thing is that countries like Ireland and Scotland, for example, have probably got a little bit more of a chance of getting through, and then and then even getting through to the to the, to the knockout. But you know, it, it will encourage those teams that are good at grinding out points here and there. Unfortunately um so you know I, i'm not sure i'm not sure but you know the, the, i mean i remember it when it was 16 teams but, you know the world's a different place now the breakup of yugoslavia soviet union and etc there's so many more countries in the world and you know the development in in in, in uh, parts of the world like africa asia uh you know caribbean area and, and so forth has just been phenomenal so you know these teams deserve a, a chance i think the number of I think the number of uh, Asian teams might double or something like that. I might have got that wrong, but sure. if somebody will correct me. Yeah. But maybe it's African teams. So that 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 will be interesting because you know I think still there's, there's a lot of you know the other thing that occurs to me when you th- when I think back to like the 70s and 80s is that you would you would you would see a team like I don't know. Tunisia or Algeria or something would would qualify and you wouldn't know any other players. They might have one lad that plays in the French League but essentially they'd all be from that country and they were all good technicians but they didn't have a lot of fitness and the goalkeeper was always rubbish and you know what I mean? And and, And it was all that sort of thing but now you watch these teams and it doesn't matter where they come from there's a, there's a bit of a homogeneity. I mean, you know, you've got globalisation, you know, cap, capitalism globalisation, and that obviously impacts football. Um, you know, that Senegal team had you know, at least half a dozen players that play in the English League, you know, and so they're mm-hmm. all big, they're all strong, they're all, all athletic, they are all got a good level of technique and they're all well organised. And what, what's been great to see is that countries like um, Ghana and uh, Senegal, you know, Again, if you go back even 20 years, probably, maybe even further, these teams tended to hire these sort of mercenary, usually Eastern European managers that you'd never heard of, but had a great reputation for managing sort of international teams. But now they've got their own coaches from their their own people, which I think is brilliant. Uh, you know, um, CC yeah. for, uh, for for Senegal and Ado for Ghana. So that's good to see. Yeah, so I think
1: I think this is the first World Cup ever where every African nation is managed by an African manager. Um, as opposed to European right. managers coming in and and managing them, so that's that's very interesting. And just a final point on the, the one of the points that you're making on the World Cup is uh, Robbie Brady, the Irish midfielder, made a did an interview with uh, the the and he spoke about the quality of the opposition nowadays. And he his point was just that n- there's nobody shite now. You know, like you might come up against no. the San Marino. Or a Gibraltar, and they'll be, you know, they're very beatable, but they're not terrible in the same manner as they used to be. Whereas I think that's what you're seeing. You're seeing a lot more quality in the middle ground teams at this World Cup, especially from the 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 Asian qualifiers and the African qualifiers have all been really, really strong at this World Cup. So maybe the time of year benefits them. But uh, we'll move on from the World Cup because. the, we want to talk about the general the Celtic players at the World Cup firstly and the potential Celtic players playing at the World Cup as well. Um, I've tried not to call him Alistair Campbell multiple times, but Alistair Campbell just rolls <laughs> off my tongue whenever you say the word Alistair. <laughs> Alistair Johnson from Canada. Canada obviously now knocked out of the World Cup. He is on his way to Celtic, if you believe the newspapers. It seems to be a done deal. A right back coming in. From the Canadian League, Canadian International, and it looks like a three million deal by the by the sounds of what's being reported. This is coming at a very interesting time, Alan, because before the World Cup, I think the last podcast we recorded, we were speaking about Joseph Juranovic and how he had uh, how talks had broken down between him and the club uh, for a new contract. So, what do you think this? Means for Juranovic and his future, and what Celtic are doing in the transfer market.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I've said many times before. I don't think the manager, I don't think Ange Postecoglou is. I think he he plays games, and I don't think he's difficult to read, really, um, in many ways. And he's signposted that the way he sees the club growing, as we've talked about, is to be more. It's essentially, to increase churn in the transfer market. So that means. More players coming in, more players going out. The more players you sell at the at the optimal price point, uh, sorry to use these horrible economic terms, but then the more the more you can then upskill the the squad by spending spending more on incomings. So, but to do that, you need you need volume. You need a greater volume of change, really. Um, and and sell so, and there's no excuse for Celtic not to do that because um, you know it, it's not like if Celtic sell one player, suddenly you're worrying about not not beating. St. Mirren at home, sorry, St. Mirren's a bad example <laughs> this season, but you know what I mean? And no disrespect to them, just picked a name out there. Out the so, you know, you can afford, especially in the domestic sense, where Celtic have got an enormous economic advantage over uh, the rest of the teams in the league, that, that you can you can probably uh, put up with a bit more churn. And that's the only way you're going to, as I say, up, upskill the the overall squad. Now, you know, Djuranovic is 27, he's an experienced international um, his next contract is likely to be his last really big one, probably you know, in all likelihood. So it's an important move for him. Uh, he's under contract for at least another four years. So there's plenty of value there in terms of resale. Um, and if he wants to go, as we know from the manager, he doesn't care what your name is and what your reputation is. If you don't want to be there, then it's it's goodbye and we'll get someone else in. So it's all signposted in what he said about you know, increasing the volume of, of attrition. In the squad, that and, and and to me, if I was looking at it, the players that I would think would be candidates to sort of actively move on and and replace would be the likes of Juranovic because of his age and the fact that you know being at a World Cup, this is probably his opt- the optimal time to sell him. Even and, and James got Peltas for this at the beginning of the season, but he was spot on. He talked about Yakimakis. Yakymakis has come in. He's had not only been really successful in the Eredivisie. Uh, he's come into Celtic and been really successful. He's got a Champions League goal. He's 28, 20, again, 27, 28 years old. The other aspect of it, and to be brutally frank, is have those two players, and, and I, I don't know anything about Giacomacus Levy. I'm just using him as an example of another player that you might feel is at the, the peak moment for trading as an example. But going back to Uranovic, you know, he, you know, he isn't actually that much better than Ralston. That's that's the thing. So it's 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 almost something that you can do it do it fairly low, fairly low risk. There's really only two attributes that Juranovic has that marks him marks him above Ralston, which and and they're important attributes. That clearly one is is just his recovery speed, and, and the second is his speed going forward. I mean, we saw with the assist that he got for the goal against Canada, where he just he made this diagonal run right at the heart of their defense, caused absolute chaos eventually there was a bit of a skirmish, laid the ball off, and uh, and um, uh, the, the striker, Le- 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 Levaya, I think it was, sco- scored a really good goal. So that's what he gives you, which obviously Ralston doesn't. And that raw pace is the one thing Ralston lacks, unfortunately. So it does mean that, yeah. you know, if you think about the Champions League level, do you think of that as your benchmark? Um, yes, Juranovic had some of those physical attributes, but in all other respects of his game, he's no better than Ralston, really. So to me, it, mm-hmm. it would make a lot of sense to, to, to trade, to trade, trade in that way. Yeah, and then I suppose it'll really depend
1: on what Celtic eventually get for Juranovic and whether or not we see it as a good value deal and good turnover. If it is three million for Johnson, what are they going to get for Juranovic? Somebody made the point. You mentioned speed, and Juranovic's speed. Uh, somebody made the point on Twitter that. Uh, this season, Juranovic has come up against Mudrik, Nkunku, uh, Vinicius Jr., and now Alfonso Davies. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're not slow players. Um, so I, I think we saw Juranovic get burned a couple of times in those four games. Uh, three of those came against came for Celtic and, and one for Croatia the other night. I think we can forgive him for being outpaced by some of the fastest players on the planet.
0: No, absolutely. But, uh, you know, again, if you look at sort of, johnson as a as a counterpoint what does he give you so he's he's someone who he's you know 5'11 he's wiry he's athletic um you know read about him being a sort of street street hockey player he's tough um he can play he's quite flexible so he played for canada he played on the right side of a back three but really he he at the same time played like a wing back, the way way Mm -hmm. he bombed forward he's got a good Good sort of pace about him. So for me, he would be an athletic upgrade on Juranovic in that he doesn't, he, he seems reasonably quick, but he's just a bit bigger and stronger. And, and again, coming mm. back to, if you look at the teams, even look at Saudi Arabia. I mean, when Saudi Arabia, after I first saw them in a World Cup, again, they, they were they were all sort of tall, slim, elegant lads, but they had no muscle on them. And, and you know, they, they were beautifully um, skills on the ball, but they were just out-muscled every, every single time. And now you look at them and they're just like beasts, you know, they're just like absolute, you know, big lads, muscly, strong, the same as, you know, a typical german team the same as for example senegal even ecuador ecuador got a you know tough bunch of players so that's the that's the model and, and, and i hate to keep going on about athleticism because i think you know I do a lot done a lot of work in grassroots football and that's the thing that annoys me most is that athleticism is valued over over technical ability but when it comes to the professional level you've got to have the complete package uh, and if you want to mm-hmm. compete, you know, you want to compete at that level, unfortunately. So I, I, I'm not, I, you know, I don't think, I'm not saying that Jonathan's the super athlete, but he looks more like the type of player that I think Celtic need to have in their team, that they're kind of lacking that sort of roundabout six foot, still got the pace, strong physically and good technically. That's the model that we need to sort of up upgrade to. We've got a lot of players in our squad who've got a lot of good technical ability lacking in the physical side. Um, or, or, or 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 small and but not quick either. <laughs> you know, I don't mind you being small, but you, you better be bloody quick. You know what I mean? And, and as I say, don't don't. I hate that aspect of it, but it's just the reality of it. You've got to you've got to have that. I mean, just look at the teams that we played. Yeah. I mean, Real Madrid didn't just didn't just beat us through having better technical players. They beat us physically as well, mm-hmm. and yeah, 100%. Leipzig especially. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You can be small if you play like Pedri or Gavi, but if you're playing at a <laughs> yeah. level where Celtic are are purchasing you, you're probably not at the level of Pedri or Gavi. So you're going to need a little bit of physicality as well. And um, we'll move on to the centre back uh, situation at Celtic because I suppose the, the dipping into the Canadian league shows you again the Celtic are looking at markets that they otherwise would not have been uh, before Ange Bosticoglu came in, and once again they're dipping into the Japanese market with Yuki Kobayashi joining the club. That's already confirmed he's coming in as a centre-back. What do you think this means, before we get into what kind of player he's going to be, what do you think this means for the future of Morris Jens and Stephen Welsh at the club? Because obviously Jens is just here on loan. Do you think this means that Celtic are going to potentially move him on at the end of the season? Or could it be Stephen Welsh who sacrificed and sent to Toulouse, who I think were interested in him? Uh, Udinese were interested in Stephen Walsh at one point in time as well. Um, so, in the sort of Ferris wheel of Celtic centre backs, who is leaving and who's staying, do you think?
0: Yes, yeah, so this is one, something, you know, as you know, I, I look at periodically and I've, I've got a framework for a sort of assessing centre backs, which I I quite like. I think it's quite, it seems to fit the eye test quite well. Um, in, in summary, then, for me, we're in a situation where we've got, you know, Carter Vickers on the right-hand side of the defence, who is as good as any centre-back that we've had in the last sort of seven years that I've been collecting data. So, in terms of the benchmarks of players that would be up there, it would be the likes of you know, sort of Van Dyke um, peak Chris Julien, peak Ayer. You know, uh, Benkovic. In the short time that he was on loan with us, was, was excellent. Um, that he's, he's up, he's up there in that sort of at that sort of level. And, and and to me that suggests that 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 company suggests we've got somebody there who, you know, ticks the boxes as far as, you know, we'd be happy to go into battle in the Champions League with with Carter Vickers. The, the problem is on the other side, where at the moment we've got three players, um, none of whom, in my view, uh, are of of the same standard or even in the same part of the uh, same same benchmark as. As as as, uh, as Carter Vickers, unfortunately, they, they've all got different strengths and weaknesses. They're not all sort of homogenous, um, but but ultimately, if I, if I'm ranking all the centre backs using the framework that I use, they're kind of at best in the middle, and and at worst actually you know pretty pretty poor t- in terms of defensive actions as well. Now, what what's apparent to me about Starfell is that he's got attributes that I think the manager likes, which I think are the sort of non Non sort of uh, performance metrics. The sort of he's a good guy. He likes him in the dressing room. You know he's 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 a he's a kind of leader in, on the park, etc. Um, so I, I suspect that's why Starfelt is favoured. Um, my my summary on Jens, and bear in mind that through because of injuries to others, Jens has played in just about every single game. In fact, up until, I think, three games ago, he he was actually leading the team in terms of minutes on the pitch as an outfield player. It was only Joe Hart had more minutes. So I've had a lot of data to compare him with. He's had to play with a few partners. Uh, my summary of him would be he's just not that much better than what we've already got, right? He's not that much better than Starfelt. He's not that much better than Stephen Welsh. So for me, if it came, I don't know what the agreed release clause is with Jens, but I just don't see enough there that it's worth, you know, buying him to punt Stephen Welsh. So Stephen Welsh has got two advantages. One is he's Scottish and homegrown and therefore he counts towards the the squad um you know, there's a there's a there's a number of homegrown players you have to have in your squad for Europe, and the second is where he, where Stephen Welsh stands out is his passing, his forward passing, which I've talked about before. He's he's noticeably um, more you know, better at getting the ball forward from deeper positions than than the than the others, but unfortunately his defensive stats are really no better than well they're worse actually than than Yen's and about the same as Starfelt. So. Kobayashi uh, being added to the mix as a left-sided left-footed center-backs is a really interesting dynamic. Now, this is a guy who's, you know, I don't I'll be honest with you, I've never seen him play, but just looking at it he looks like a solid a player who's established himself only this season really in the well, sorry, the last two seasons, sorry, in the J League. He's been um, pretty much an all an ever-present uh, he's got some six games in the African equivalent to the um, to the Champions League, African Jam- Asian sorry Champions mm-hmm. League. So he's got that. About I think he's got one cap, maybe for Japan. I know they play they play quite a lot of games, and he's young and he's left-footed. So um, he's got all that going for him. But I I, I, I would think given if you remember how, how long it took you know what Hitati was because he's he, essentially there he's. He's coming off of a, a pre-season or, 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 a, or a close yeah. season, sorry, because their their season finished a few couple of months ago. So, so it's going to be unrealistic to expect that we're going to throw him straight into the first team. So, I think it's going to be continuing to be probably Carter, Vickers and Starfelt for the foreseeable. But I think it's going to be interesting to see. I don't see us keeping, you know, five of them, uh, you know, for for, for the uh, for next season. But I still, I don't know, is, if this, is this guy going to be as good as Carter Vickers? Because that's the benchmark we need to, need to aim mm. for, is to have another centre-back who's, who's of a similar standard. And as I say, I don't think Starfelt and, and Welsh are that. Welsh has still got some development and growth in him. Whether he's at 22, 23 willing to hang around and wait, I don't know. And in the meantime, the boss seems to trust Starfelt. So I think it's a really, really interesting area. And I think there's a lot of uh, toing and froing got to happen yet in, in that part of the team.
1: Yeah, 100%. And if you look at the way that we've uh, used Abelgar very scarcely throughout the season so far, I think you could probably put the same to Kobayashi and that there might be a little bit longer to wait before we see him. Uh, push for a first team place Benjamin Lynch in the comments uh, of course correcting me because I had a massive brain fart earlier, Alistair Johnson is joining from the MLS, not the Canadian League it it just had Montreal in my head Canadian League, no, it's the MLS he's joining from, but the point still stands, we're in markets that we weren't in, we weren't buying players from the MLS before this, so uh, thanks to Benjamin for correcting me on that because that was a a brain fart on my behalf Um, just to finish off this podcast because it is a little bit of a shorter one we have a new man across town and an old man, if you want to put it that way. Michael Bill Mick has joined the Rangers. Is it Mick or is it Mickey? Their...
0: Mick, Mickey or Mick? Which are... what are we said? I think on? I think Mick he prefers.
1: I think he prefers Mick. I think he prefers Mick. Uh, so Mick, Mick, Mick or... Bill is yeah. is joining uh, Rangers as their as now their first day manager. He was obviously Stephen Gerrard's number two there going to have to delete some tweets when i credited michael bill with any success that steven gerrard had at the club but uh, look he went to qpr <laughs> he did quite well initially and now uh, the form has dropped off uh, quite dramatically over the last number of weeks for qpr what are we what, what what's your general feeling with michael bill coming back to the to rangers as their manager and taking over from from geo because i mean it was only a matter of time i think it's surprising financially that Rangers did decide to pull the plug on Gio van Bronckhorst uh, d- before the end of the season, so another
0: new man for Ange Postacoglio to go up against. I mean, firstly, it's it's kind of amused me in a very childish way all these Twitter handles that are having to delete the van the van piece and 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 uh, replace it with Mick. I'm, I'm looking forward to that, but um, I thought it was an astonishing decision to sack van Bronckhorst, uh, really, because. You know, he, he's, since he's taken over, you know, they, they obviously won a Scottish Cup, they got to a European final. Um, he's been given very little res- in the resor- resources, really, to rebuild what is an ageing an aging squad. You've got the problem of ageing. You've sold two of your most athletic, talented players and not been able to replace them. And you've got players that clearly don't want to be there. That are kind of working their ticket. So... Given all that, and then you also have has to be acknowledged had a lot of, a lot of injury. Well, similar to the sort of injuries that Celtic had a couple of years ago, um, and even last season actually that they've kind of they, they've, which they you know they've been insulated from in in recent seasons. But that's it's going kind to of come home to roost in this season, and especially in the centre back uh, department. So I think if you give if, if you give all that context, put all that context together, to me it's an extraordinary decision to to, to sack a an experienced manager who. You know, asked for support um, when he'd navigated two difficult, you um, know, Champions League qualifying ties, and then was given nothing uh, to, to to support the team uh, despite all of that uh, revenue. You know, you'd think coming into the club. So I was I was really surprised, to be honest with you. And like you say, this 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 whole es- escapade of sacking uh, Van Bronckhorst, his back-groom team, you know, Mackay and uh, and so forth um and then and then obviously having to pay QPR to get Mickey Beale and his backroom team i mean you you're looking at the guts of 67 6 to 7 million pounds uh, based on what i've seen uh, uh, to, to to actually do all that and this is a team you know this is a club that clearly doesn't have any money to buy players and this is another enormous outlay and and, and a real risk i mean the guy's got you know just under 25 games uh, 22 games of managerial experience under his belt. So, yeah, I think it's an extraordinary decision.
1: Yeah, well, it is extraordinary to the point that you make, the the transfer situation with them and and that they weren't buying any players in, but now they will have to fork out about, yeah, about 6 million because I think the the reports are there was 4 million to to sack geo in the first place and then you have to pay a championship club a fairly high up championship club to to bring their first team manager that the manager who had rejected wolves in the premier league before this and on top of that you've got two lawsuits as well which i think one of them for the the australian tour is in the region of 1.5 million and then the uh, the deal with the kit supplier is in the region of 3 to 4 million as well. So Rangers are immediately out of pocket around 12 million as a result of this and you just have to think how much closer they might have been this season if they had spent 12 million on players. It's just it's 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 a, it's a quite a quite a strange situation going on over there but in relation to well, how this affects if- Celtic if
0: they had 12, if they had 12 million to buy players. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's a fair point.
0: And, and, and how, Which, how know, you all know relates to because, you know, I think you know, we're going to, I think we're going to do a bit of a special on this. So we'll get, probably dig into this, this discussion on finances a little bit, a little bit more later on. Hopefully we're, we're trying to set something up on that. Um, but, you know, essentially the bottom line is they got to a European final. They had more games, more home games, more revenue, in, in the history of the whole franchise, like over, over, you know, they had more revenue this year than ever before, and they still made a loss. That's the, that's the bottom line, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so, yeah. you know, those are the facts. Yeah, yeah. So, just to wrap this up, I
1: think there was a, a tiny bit mm. of a de- delay there on the on the things in how this relates to Celtic. We actually mm. around this time last year, or maybe a couple of weeks in between, uh, we're speaking about Stephen Gerrard leaving for Aston Villa. And Giovan Broncos uh, joining the club, and at the time I remember I made the point that, in in one way or another, Rangers were actually doing quite well at that point. In in one way or another, this will affect Rangers and how the team performs, and how it impacts uh, Celtic. Is. There's a game coming up in December, so I think that that'll be a very it's a very quick turnaround for a new manager to be faced into the Glasgow derby. So Ange he pretty much sorted out Geo over the last number of meetings between the two clubs. Are Celtic just so far ahead that it would be quite unexpected if Michael Beale was able to turn this around?
0: So I mean, listen, it's it's imperative that Celtic stay stay true to their strategy and their direction, right? Uh, You know, the manager wants to implement uh, a process whereby, you know, uh, the player trading is, uh, you know, the the, the famous player trading model is uh, uplifted and accelerated. Um, He wants to continue to improve the squad. I think we saw uh, quite clearly uh, this season that our team isn't good enough to compete at the Champions League level. That is the the bold facts of it. You know, we were, you know, we we, we competed well. Uh, There was a lot of... um, a bit very similar to Canada, actually. Canada were one of the best teams to watch in the World Cup and played a very attacking, direct form of football, but ultimately were undone. Um, so, you know, and that's very much, very much a mirror, mirror image of what happened to us in the Champions League. You know, just not, not quite good enough, just came up short. So if we're going to get better, and that's the manager's stated goal, then we have to stay true to ourselves, continue to invest in the squad, but that that will mean that you know, occasionally some favourites will will get sold because that's the only way we're going to you know generate inc- the necessary revenues to then invest back into the into the team because we know that all the other revenues that streams that we've got are are limited uh, and so the player trading models where you can really sort of make a make a difference. I mean, we might have a good year, one year, and get through to the last sixteen. Um, but you're not going to get through to the last four. You know, very rare. You know, maybe once in a generation. You can't bank on that. Whereas what you can bank on is uh, having players that people are interested in, selling two or three of them, but then you know, reinvesting the money and constantly, gradually uplifting the quality of the score overall. We, whoever is the manager across there is irrelevant. We just carry on with our plan.
1: Yeah, that's exactly how it should be as well, and as long as Ange Postacoglu is at the rain, I think that is how it's going to be going over the next while as he is uh, in charge of Celtic. A, sh- a slightly shorter podcast this week because obviously there's no football, but that's, uh, I think, pretty much everything that we wanted to cover on the show tonight, unless there's anything that you wanted to to get a final point, point in on it right
0: No, just a to, just to shout out to all, all my friends in Wales, just you know, thinking of you tonight. <laughs> Yeah. we'll be there big match big match for <laughs> I'm Wales sure, I'm big sure match you're the for... same <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah unfortunately say, I yeah, will yeah. not yeah. Yeah, yeah huge match for Cameron Carter Vickers as well if they they beat Iran then they will be going through along with England if England get a result against Wales but let's keep the fingers crossed that that doesn't happen either so uh, not petty at all here <laughs> on the the huddle break. Then, Alan thanks very much enjoy the rest of the World Cup and uh, as we've uh, said we will be doing a sort of a special episode on finances and uh, Celtics finances, Rangers finances, and and how it compares to the rest of the SBFL as well. Hopefully that'll be in the next week or so. We're trying to get the guest arranged for that, and there will be a podcast slash video on the channel very shortly, probably tomorrow, maybe Thursday. Uh, about uh, Alistair Johnston who we will be doing a breakdown on as a player with uh, an analyst so that's what is to come on the Huddle Breakdown on the YouTube if you want to get those videos you can subscribe to the channel below hit the like button as well and leave a comment if you enjoyed the video or if you did not enjoy the video or if you disagree with me just leave a comment Below, and uh, we'll try to get back to as many people as possible. And the podcast of this will be available in the usual channels as well. Alan, thanks very much. We'll chat to you later. Good luck.
2: Time to play the game. Time to play the game. It's all about the game, and how you play it all about control, and if you can't take it it's all about your debt, and if you can't pay it It's all about pain, and who's gonna make it I am the game, you don't wanna play me I am control, no way you can shake me I am heavy debt, no way you can pay me I am the pain, and I know you can't take me Look over your shoulder, ready to run Like a clayless bitch from a smoking gun I am the and I may lose So move we'll on out, here And die like a fool Try to figure out what my moves gonna be Come on over, circle, why don't you ask me? Don't you forget there's a price you can pay Cause I am the game and I want to play